Modern smartphones are sleek and thin, but they're also fragile and expensive. If you're really careful, you may use it until you're ready to upgrade without shattering the glass. But if you look around, you'll see most phones wrapped in a case for protection. Our personal data is even more valuable than the device it's stored on, and it deserves just as much protection. The work that I do requires me to travel a lot, which means I'm frequently to connect, connected to unfamiliar networks. Nefarious hackers can make up to $1,000 selling the data of each of their victims on the dark web, and there are cheap hardware and software tools readily available that let even a smart middle schooler snatch your data without you even noticing. A virtual private network, or VPN, like ExpressVPN, creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your devices and the servers that you're transmitting data to and from. When you're, when you're sitting at the airport gate area, or airline lounge, or even your hotel room, those Wi-Fi networks aren't secure. Your bits are flying through the air, and whether you're checking your bank account balance, sending data to a client, or just checking your email, bad actors can snatch up your usernames, passwords, and everything else you send and receive if it's not encrypted. The layers of security used by ExpressVPN would take over a billion years to expose by bad guys with some of the most powerful supercomputers. ExpressVPN trusted server technology also runs each session in memory in a unique virtual space that is wiped clean as you end your session with none of your data ever written to a hard drive, so there's no residue for anyone to recover about what you were doing after the fact. ExpressVPN runs on almost all devices, including Windows, Mac, iOS, Linux, Android, streaming devices like Chromecast, Roku, Fire Stick, and Apple TV, and there's also a Chrome browser extension. It's super simple to use. Once you install ExpressVPN, it's one click to establish a secure encrypted tunnel with servers in 105 countries around the world. I've personally been paying for and using ExpressVPN for years on all of my personal devices. When I, started, when I first started using VPNs for work more than 20 years ago, they were often slow and unstable and had to be restarted frequently. But with ExpressVPN, data speeds are virtually unchanged from running fully exposed, so you can just turn the VPN on and leave it on. I often get materials from clients and companies that are, that are under embargo or NDA, and if it leaks out, I can get into some trouble. But even if I just wanted to reach back to my personal server to grab some files, check my email, or watch something that's only available on one of my streaming services at home while I'm out of the country, ExpressVPN lets me do it all securely. Your data is valuable. Don't let bad actors steal it and potentially misuse it. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash wheelbearings. And you can get an extra three months free when you sign up. Expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. And thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting wheelbearings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on episode 329 of Wheel Bearings, we got the Chevy Colorado Trail Boss, Kia EV9, Nissan Leaf, the first drive of the Chevy Blazer EV, GM's new infotainment system, the Cadillac Vistic, the LA Sheriff's Department still has a strategic reserve of Crown Victorias, anti-drink driving tech, 
the Tesla autopilot recall, and much more. All that coming up next. This is episode 329 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abrul Samish from Guidehouse Insights. I'm Stephanie Brinley from S&P Global Mobility. And uh, let's see, Robbie is in uh, New York this weekend with his wife, uh, having a little holiday cheer. And Nicole is still cruising up and down some kind of river in Europe uh, with her husband. All right. Hitting Christmas markets across Europe. So um, I'm glad to have you with me uh, this week, Steph. Uh, always great to chat, chat with you. Always, always fun. Glad to be back. All right. Um, so what have you been driving? Uh-huh. I had uh, a Nissan Leaf SV Plus this week. Um, a little chilly, a couple of days in Michigan, so got to to look at the at the cold weather. And it actually, I didn't think it had a, big, a super significant impact. And um, what was better is is it, it told you what I had. Um, so whatever impact was there was was registered in in the readout. So and, and I think that's kind of important. A big thing of, of EVs, especially in the cold, is how accurate your range readings are. And if you lose a little bit of range for cold, at least it says it yeah. <laughs> and it's not super optimistic about it. Um, but overall, I mean, this one was 38,000. My cat's sitting on my, on my paperwork. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> uh, but... I, see, I see the corner of her on her face, just one eye in the, in the corner of the, the Zoom window here as I'm looking at you. <laughs> She's a funny cat, but... Yeah. Um, at any rate, it was about $38,000, uh, which is, you know, a fair amount of change for, for a, a five-door hatchback. Uh, and, that, and that's the longer range, 220 miles, yeah. sure, right? Yep. Yeah. Yes. So the range was, I mean, for what I'm doing, you know, that, that range was perfectly fine. I don't, I mean, we've talked about EV range, you know, before, and, um, certainly there is, a, an interest in having something that's 250 miles plus or 300 miles plus. Um, but at least for my daily needs, that that range was fine. Um, I I wasn't planning on taking it on a long road trip, so I didn't really have to worry about any of that. Um, and and on a normal work week, it was fine. So yeah, that that longer range worked. Um, but it's it's not it's not the most fun to drive, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that's always know, been one of the challenges with the Leaf. And and, the, and at this point in time, its its infotainment system is just not as good as anyone else's right now. And at thirty eight thousand, I think that's a I think that hurts the car quite a bit. The range is fine, the handling is just okay. Uh, the tires are clearly energy optimized tires, and so it it feels it feels in the handling it feels sort of squishy sometimes. Um, so it's not my favorite EV, unfortunately. Um, but you know they're they're due to work on that relatively soon. And I think we've talked before about Nissan kind of having lost a little bit of a of a first mover lead in that space, and and working to sort of recover it. Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show, we talked about there was an article that came out of uh, out of Europe uh, in Autocar. Um, about um, some plans that Nissan had announced for their their UK assembly plant in Sunderland mm-hmm. uh, for some of the the future vehicles they're going to build there, uh, which are I guess going to be all electric, including an electric Juke uh, and mm-hmm. an electric, a, a new Leaf, new generation Leaf. Right. So there should be a new. I mean, this this Leaf, you know, while it's technically second generation, is 
you know, it it was a reskin of the yeah. first generation Leaf. It's it's still basically the same technology they've had since 2010, except for expanding the battery capacity. Right. So you and know, it, it is a little aged. Yeah, and they're saying, and they had they as they launched this car, they took an interesting tack that um, proved to not necessarily be the the best one. We remember it launched with the 150 mile range first. And yeah. it launched, at, and and that was very conscious to to get the price point down, um, right? Because they wanted the to idea, have a thirty thousand dollars starting price for it, right? And and make sure that you know you had in order to get the, the lower price point, you needed the lower range. And the idea was people will understand, and in a year or two, year eighteen months or whatever it was, we'll have the longer range vehicle, and and then they'll be ready for it. And it just it just wasn't the right note for the market at that particular moment in the U.S. It just wasn't really what they wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it slowed that first year. And then when the second longer range came out, being in that 212, 220 space was better. But by then, the conversation shifted to 250 and 300, and, and it got left in the dust, unfortunately. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't help that the, uh, the, the LEAF you know, is, uh, is still saddled with a Chatamo uh, fast mm-hmm. charging connector, which you know, fat, quote unquote fast charging, which is limited to fifty kilowatts. So compared to a lot of newer EVs, you know, it even the fast charging is pretty slow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Aria, they've got Aria, and yeah. and and there's more coming. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting seeing Nissan be one of the early players, and now uh, spoke with them and 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 Japan at the Tokyo Motor Show too. And and their approach is is to be ready when when the EV when EVs are really taking off and when people are, are really ready because as we've talked about twenty three and twenty four are still are still baby step years um, and and they're kind of waiting to figure out what that right point is to 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 be there which is just it's not necessarily the wrong strategy because right now there's not enough demand there's demand for EVs but not enough demand to 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 really switch faster than we are. And and you don't want to get ahead of it. You don't want to then be GM and Ford and, and having to pull things back a little bit and slow down. Um, so it's a it's an interesting balancing act, and it's 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 interesting watching a company that that started out and and valuing that first position, that first mover position, decide that okay, we're going to instead step back a little bit and and wait to for the market to to develop a little bit before we jump back into it. And of course, they're developing the products that they'll need for that because you can't not develop the products. But um, yeah, they've, they've taken a little bit of a different approach. And when you're a massive company managing capital allocation, it's not necessarily the wrong approach. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. a lot of things they pull in. Yeah, and you know we, we've talked. You know, I'm sure you've you've had a lot of conversations as well with reporters over the last couple of months about slowing EV sales. Yeah, yeah, which is, in fact. Not really the case if you actually look at the numbers. You know, if you you know if you plot them out, it's EV sales have continued to grow. Last month, you know, we we topped a million EV sales in the U.S. Mm-hmm. for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what what we're seeing is some slowing of the growth. We we haven't we're not into the hockey stick moment yet. We're not into right. compound growth, but you know, I've I've got a plot of EV sales over the last three years, monthly sales, and it's basically a straight line going up yeah. and to the right. Yeah. You know, so it's just it's not curving up yet. We're not into right. that exponential growth yet, and so you know, for what you said about you know Nissan kind of holding back, kind of trying to wait for that hockey stick moment. 
um, you know, it may not it may not be the worst choice in the world in terms of you know how you're going to invest your resources. And you know, we know they've got a lot of stuff, a lot of new EVs coming, um, yep. and there's some some very interesting stuff coming. So yes. the next next few years are going to be uh, uh, fascinating to watch in this industry. Uh, oh, they one, are. You know, and, and one thing to keep in mind about the Leaf, at least the current generation Leaf, is it is built in Tennessee. And the batteries are built in Tennessee, which means it's it's still eligible for a full seventy five hundred dollar tax credit. So even you know that that thirty eight thousand dollars is uh you know is is not cheap, but you know you can get that down closer to thirty thousand um, uh, dollars. Not to be picky, but um, it's thirty seven fifty. It's not the full. Oh, did okay. Well, yeah, I just the looked at the battery components. Um, are is, is that. It's right assembled, now? but I don't think. Yeah, that's right now. Um, let's see. October. Oh, the 2024 leap. So let me see what the 2023. Uh, let's see. Uh, yes. yeah, see the, oh, you're right. You're right. It did. It did drop to 3750. Yes. Yeah. Um, so okay. So I mean, still looking at almost four thousand dollars off of it. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, which which is not insignificant. Um, yeah, but. It's not clear if the next generation Leaf is also going to be produced in North America. They haven't. Nissan hasn't said anything yet, uh, yeah. and it, I think there's a good chance that it probably won't be. Um, but that, that's that's my expectation you know, because, and where they're they're running sideways with the the tax credit, I believe, is in the the materials for the battery. Yeah. I mean, the, the battery's assembled here, but um, the materials. Yeah, most of most of the, important, the, so. the raw materials are coming in from outside. Yeah, and I, I don't. We don't. We haven't heard a lot about Nissan's investment yet changing for that. Yeah, and um, um, you know, it's not one of the companies that that's announced a, a new battery materials plant or or anything here. So, not that they won't for sure, but um, it might not. It might not. Yeah. Um, and I didn't. Well, while we're on the subject, and the, and the Aria is 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 brought in from Japan, so it's yeah, not so it's not gonna. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. And that tax credit is certainly part of the the equation. But even at thirty five, or you know, you take the thirty seven fifty off that thirty eight hundred, you're still expensive for a five or hatchback. Yeah, but you're still if, expensive if, for a small car. But if you can get by with the hundred and fifty mile range version, I mean, that, oh, yeah, the twenty twenty four Leaf mm -hmm. S starts at twenty eight thousand uh, dollars. So with the tax credit, you know, you're down, but around twenty five thousand, you know, with with delivery, uh, which is you know, it's not That's terrible. Not and, That's and for terrible. a lot of people, 150 miles is plenty, you know, especially if you live in a warm weather climate and you're not mm -hmm. dealing with winter. Um, I mean, so... I could have done 150 miles range um, and for, for a lot of my daily uses and stuff like that. So, yeah, what's interesting, too, about that, your point with the 150 mile range, is it brings up an issue with affordability in EVs that, that I keep thinking about and um, the general conversation and and tone is we need you know quote unquote more affordable evs and we need them at the, and and the, the fact is we do have a, a plethora of evs or a number of evs that are available either at the average vehicle price which is pretty high right now at 48 49,000 that's still pretty high or we have ones that are available at 35,000 and 30,000 dollars especially when you put in the tax credit but they're expensive for their for their segment and so i think that's really what we're looking for um, when we when we use the term affordable electric vehicle, 
I think what the, the, the real issue is, is it affordable for its segment? And that's where things like shoveling Equinox EV is going to command at a decent price, but it's still going to be a few thousand dollars more than an Equinox, a regular Equinox. And then you've got the tracks sitting there too. Um, and it'll be notably more expensive than the tracks. So it's not so much the raw price of the Equinox EV being, where's that? And is that low enough? It's it's inconsistent with its segment. And and that's a nuance that, that doesn't always really get talked about. But I, I, my instinct is that's what consumers are feeling. Right. If, you, if you've decided to spend $45,000 on a car, you can find an EV if that's what you want. Yeah. And you can find a good EV. It's not like you have to buy a piece of junk either, right? You can find a good EV for $45,000. But it won't be a three-row. It it won't be certain things, and it and it will be more expensive than other vehicles in its class. And I but, think that's. But of course, that's also is. why you know the sales of the Chevy Bolt finally took off in the last year and a half mm-hmm. when they yep. lowered the price to you know starting price to twenty six thousand dollars, and you know with the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit, you can get yep. it under twenty thousand dollars. And in some states, you can get it down to like you know seventeen thousand with with state uh, incentives as well. So, yep. but. And, Fortunately, and it's a terrific little car. Yes. Production, so production ended this week. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you so know. more bolts. And, Go and get if, one. Go find one. If you can find one on the lot somewhere. Buy it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, And it's a, that one with that, that's, that's the counterpart to the Leaf and the, and the Bolt. The Bolt's in a better space right now. And, and in terms of its battery technology, in terms of its infotainment, um, in terms of its drivability, you know, I, I'm, you know, do you don't want to, you don't want to, Knackling Nissan for being, you know, first and early and all that, but uh, but right now, you know, one for one, the bolts, the bolts better car than the Leaf, but they're both going away. So yeah. Oh uh, well. Um, on the other hand, there's stuff that's not going away yet. Um, stuff right. that's that's brand new. Uh, did like, you, the, did you drive Blazer too? Uh, I did, and and we'll Good. we'll talk about too. that in a minute. Okay. Uh, but um, the uh, uh, Chevy Colorado. Uh, mm-hmm. And the the GMC Canyon, it's it's uh, GMC counterpart. We're all new this year, uh, as were m- most of the other midsize pickups, except for the Frontier, which came out last year. Uh, and uh, so I had the the Colorado Trail Boss, which is uh, kind of a, a mid level version. It's it's sort of it, it is kind of the entry level off roady version of the Colorado this year, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, so the the Colorado, you know, the two wheel drive Colorado work truck starts at thirty one thousand dollars, or just under, you know, thirty thousand seven hundred dollars. Um, and the Trail Boss is a little bit more than that. Um, <laughs> it's it starts at thirty eight five. Um, the the one that I had um, was forty one thousand fifty five dollars. Um, which, you know, when you compare it to a lot of off road capable vehicles right now is surprised sadly not that much you know it's actually pretty reasonable um but you know this is by far not the most off-road capable version of of the colorado even you know so the the trail boss is fairly minimally equipped um as uh as colorados go you can get much pricier versions of the colorado um, and that's you know that's a challenge for a lot of people um you know so the the trail boss is only you can you can get the most of the other trim levels of the colorado with two-wheel drive the trail boss Mm -hmm. is four-wheel drive only okay Uh, so you've got another two grand yep uh and the 
um, all tr- all Colorados this year use uh, variants of the the two point seven liter four cylinder turbo that launched in the Silverado in what twenty twenty or twenty twenty one whenever the yeah. current generation Silverado came out. Um, starting with a there's a base two hundred and thirty seven horsepower version. There's a mid level trim uh, with about two hundred and fifty odd horsepower, and then there's the high output which is 310 horsepower. Uh, and that's what comes in the Trail Boss. Uh, and they all have an eight-speed automatic transmission. And the Trail Boss has got four-wheel drive low and high, and, you know, so two-speed transfer case. Um, it's got uh, a two-inch factory lift, uh, which helps, mm-hmm. you know, for, for that off-road stuff. Uh, it doesn't have much in the way of skid plates um, or and no um, no rock rails and things like that. You can, you can get stuff like that for it, uh, but mm-hmm. they don't. They don't come standard on the trail boss. My, you know, what I, what I noticed previously when I drove the the Canyon and now the trail boss, the driving dynamics on the road are way better uh, with yeah. this new generation. You know, it, it, you know, it rides and handles actually surprisingly well. It doesn't bounce around even the trail boss and the, the Canyon AT4 that I drove before that it don't bounce around on the road. There's good right. body control. It doesn't, doesn't sway around when you're going around corners, which is even really lifted. Nice. Yeah, even 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 lifted and you know on all terrain tires, uh, it uh, you know it it still it does quite well. It's actually quite quite reasonably pleasant to drive on the road, mm-hmm. which is to be realistic is the way most people that buy these things are going to use them. Um, but uh, it, uh, I think the biggest issue I had with this thing was climbing into it. Looking at that $41,000 price tag and looking around the cabin, how cheap it feels. You know, it's, it's all hard plastics. It, the, 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 the trim and, and the, the finish in this thing is about comparable to the $20,000 Ford Maverick that my next door neighbors have. You know, you know, on a $20,000 Maverick, I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. You know, I expect that on a Maverick. Um, I'm not so crazy about it on a forty thousand dollar truck. The the AT the, the Canyon AT4 I had, you know, was clearly a, a significantly higher trim level. It had soft touch surfaces in there. It was finished much better. It was also much more expensive, but it was finished much much nicer than this one was. And I don't know. I for myself, I I just have a hard time. I would have a really hard time justifying to myself spending forty thousand dollars on something that feels so cheap inside. Um, yeah. But aside from that, the the rest of it was was quite good. You know, I I I didn't I didn't have any major issues. Well, I I have one major issue with it. Um, I did like the nitro yellow metallic paint on this. I think nice. it's a I think it's a cool color and. I'm I'm a big advocate of having more bold colors on vehicles. You know, having mm-hmm. fewer grays and silvers and blacks and whites. Um, and this this nitro yellow metallic, you know, has a slightly just a slightly green tinge to it, but you know, it's it's a bold yellow. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not that it's it's kind of like the the yellow that they have in the Rivians, uh, okay. but maybe a little bit brighter than that. Um, but um, I think I think it's a it's a great color. Um, the in the interior, aside from the, the cheap feeling plastics, it does have a nice big eleven inch uh, center touch screen and and a digital instrument cluster. 
uh, you know, and it's a similar kind of look to a lot of the other uh, recent Chevy introductions on the on the EV side. Uh, you know, see, so it's kind of a, a stand up uh, center center touchscreen. It's got uh, an Android Automotive infotainment system because it's not electric. It still has smartphone projection, so you can plug in your iPhone or your your Android phone and use yeah. CarPlay or Android Auto, and, and you've got those interfaces. Um, Which one did you use more? Did you stick with the the uh, I, OEM? Uh, as, as an Android user, um, by by default, um, I just uh, logged in. I opened up the Google Play Store, logged into my Google account, downloaded Pocket Casts and and YouTube Music, and I just used that. I, and I had no issues at all using the the stock system because it's running Google Maps anyway. So it's running the same right. apps I would be running from from Android Auto anyway. Um, right. You know, and you know, I I did plug in an iPhone, you know, to try it out, and you know, it works fine. You know, if you're if you're an iPhone user and you like CarPlay, it works works you know just as you would expect it in any other vehicle. Yeah. Um, the the only major functional complaint I had about uh, about the Trail Boss uh, was fuel economy it was kind of mediocre. Uh, yeah. it, it's rated at, uh, uh, 17 city, 21 highway, 19 combined. I got about 17 overall in mixed driving, um, which you know, is not great. not great. And that's, that's, that's probably the biggest issue I have with these midsize trucks. I think the size mm-hmm. is a lot more reasonable than full-size trucks. Uh, and it's, it's much more appropriate for most people, uh, compared mm-hmm. to a full-size truck. But the the fuel economy of these usually isn't any better than the full size. Than a full size. So yeah, you know it's hard, kind of hard to make the case. You know why should I settle for a smaller truck when I'm not going to be saving any money on gas? Now you are going to be paying more for that full size truck. Uh, right. But you know it's I I kind of wish uh, we would see automakers um, you know at least. You know, Toyota is putting a hybrid uh, system in the new Tacoma that's right. in, in the spring. But mm-hmm. you know, if they if that one is like the hybrid that's in the Tundra, it's actually not going to help very much. It's going to be more for performance and fuel economy. I, I wish um, you know manufacturers would put some uh, put some more hybrids uh, hybrid options in some of these midsize trucks to get some better fuel efficiency. Uh, Rather than performance, yeah, right. Uh, there, there is that's that's the skew. Yeah, there, there is, there is um, a plug-in hybrid version, a plug-in hybrid coming to the Gladiator at some point in yes. the next couple of years. Oh. Uh, we found that out from the from the UAW contract, uh, right. so they're putting the four by e system in there. So that'll help at least the Gladiator, and presumably, you know, if they do a, a Ram midsize, uh, hopefully they might put that in there as well. Um, but you know that. Aside from that, you know, I think that the size is, you know, is, is good. It's, it's quite reasonable. Mm-hmm. Back seats, you know, a little on the tight side. No more extended cab version for this generation. It's just the crew cab. So uh, but I think uh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the reality is the vast majority of people buy the crew cab anyway, right. because the extended cab, you know, they had jump seats in there. You know, they were basically, right. I mean, you couldn't even put a child seat in there. Uh, right. And well, and, and Tacoma's extended cab doesn't have seats. In the back yeah, right yeah, it's just just so for extra storage, okay, which it's, is kind of the way storage. it used to be in the old days. Yep. yep. So, yeah, so I think that's that's fine. So, you know, aside from the price and the and the mediocre fuel economy and the the cheap feeling interior, um, it's actually a pretty good truck. So 
I have a question and, and just sort of a thought on, on the, the interior. And I don't disagree that when you've got hard plastics at 40 grand, it, it gives you pause. But you've got the, the Colorado, there's not that that's what you're driving, but there is a, a ZR2 or there's a there's a upper level that gives yeah, you Yeah, there's the ZR2 Bison, I think. Bison, uh, yeah. which if I remember right, has a little bit better interior materials as well, which mm-hmm. would be more similar to the AT4X, but it's a little bit more light. Um, if the if you're if you're a buyer and you've you've settled on the trail boss as being the one that you want, how much of your thought process is recognizing that you're getting the extra lift, you're getting, you know, the four wheel drive stuff that you want, and 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 you've that's where that's where your forty thousand is going, and it's not going to materials. And if you if you value the materials and the performance, you do have the more expensive ZR2 Bison to go to. I don't know that that is, that makes the, the, the plastic okay, but I don't know if that's part of what fits into a consumer as they're going through it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that interior doesn't feel as good as the other one does, but I really want that two inches because that's what I want my truck to be. Uh, yeah, and, well, then and, the thing and they is- they do know that that yeah. costs money. I mean, they know from doing it to their trucks themselves aftermarket, they know that this, this componentry costs money. Yeah, and and I think that's part of it. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. You know, I think I guess you know the the issue is you know it's got the two inch lift, but it doesn't have like a full set of skid plates in there. Yeah, that's so that's the downside. You know, it. I guess you know maybe the way to look at the um, the trail boss is you know for for somebody that wants to do some off roading, but um, wants something that they can customize themselves in the aftermarket. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, you know the ZR2 starts at forty eight thousand dollars. Yeah, it is. It has significantly more off road capability from the factory. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, better tires, bigger, better tires, skid plates, uh, better dampers, things like that. Um, For somebody that you know wants a more basic truck that you know has the lift kit from the factory, and then you know is going to go and buy stuff you know, from AEV yeah. or, you know, some other uh, aftermarket company and start installing what they, you know, the specific setup that they want. They want. Then mm-hmm. the Trail Boss, you know, is more more for them. Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of a, a starting point uh, for, for building a ser- – it's not necessarily a serious off-roader in yeah, and of its own, it but, but mm-hmm. it's the starting point for building one. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a good point too. And that, and as we we just talk about these trim levels and what you know, Chevrolet knows what their, their truck buyers are going to do. They know that they've got a buyer sitting out there that that doesn't want to go through the hassle of of picking their own parts. And the ZR2 Bison check that box. And you do. I mean, there are people who do want to do that stuff themselves. They want to choose it. They want it to be a little bit different. Whether they're actually wrenching it themselves or they're having it put on, they want that to be their own decision mm-hmm. process and they may spend at the end of the day it's just as much money as they would have spent on the zr2 bison but it's theirs yeah and and then you've still got you know your your more um sort of comfort oriented kind of versions and that are less off-road so chevrolet knows how to slice that up and and be able to address what, what each of those consumers wants in a way so far um certainly there's more complexity than if they didn't have as many trim levels but but using the components in a really smart way um, so that Chevrolet captures as much margin as they can and the consumer has the version that works for them. Um, 
and pickup trucks are pickup trucks do have more trim levels and, and more choices and more options than than SUVs and sedans do. Um, for these reasons, there's there's just more there's more more aftermarket work done on pickup trucks. So I think I think that you're right about the the plastics being kind of meh. Um, but but I, to, I think to your point, though, level, you know, yeah, works if, sure. you know, if some if somebody wants one that they're going to customize um, to into a serious off roader, maybe having you know the the non fancy materials is the right choice for them because you know they know it's going to get dirty. They're going to go out and run in the desert or somewhere. You know, there's the it's going to get all dirty. They want to be able to just wipe it down. You know, and not yeah. not have to worry about getting the fancy materials all messed up. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there are people that look at fancy yeah. materials and go, "Why? I don't yeah. need that. Not, exactly. not me. I want the fancy materials. Thank yeah. you very much." But, but, but you, <laughs> you, you, and I aren't hardcore off-roaders either. So no, no, I'm not. Uh, but yeah, so it's 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 overall it's a it's a neat thing. It's a neat truck, I think. Uh, and and I do think it shows that reflects again that Chevrolet does understand their buyers. Yeah. Um, and 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 what these people are doing and uh, dropping the the X the the um, extended cap, I think, works really well um, yeah. for them. Um, yeah, because I I drove the the last generation Colorado with the extended cab, and it's like you know I folded the seat forward and looked, and it, you know having those jump seats in there was just a complete waste of the money and and space. You know, yeah. I'd rather just have it empty. Yeah, and you know, work truck guys will go do the crew cab if that's if that's what's there. So I think at that price to the way they want it to. So. I think that works out pretty well, but yeah. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials to participate. Simply fill up an orange hefty renew bag with accepted items, tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Um, well, before we get to the blazer... Um, you know, when, when I went out to LA, when I went out to California to drive the blazer, I had something else I had to do the day before. And so I borrowed a, a Kia EV9, um, oh, nice. flew, flew in, flew into LAX, borrowed a Kia EV9 to drive to Pomona and then down to Del Mar. And, um, 
the uh, the this was the GT line, and mm-hmm. so over the course of a couple of days, I put uh, probably about 150 miles on it. Okay. And yeah, the EV9 is the the three row uh, crossover based on the the Hyundai Motor Group eGMP platform. Um, and right now, it is the most affordable uh, three row electric crossover in the market. And in terms of a true three row, right? Um, Drum roll, please. That mid, price mid, is <laughs> mid 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 year middle middle of twenty four. You know, they'll, it'll have competition from the new Hyundai Ionic Seven. But um, the uh, the the one that I had, um, let's see, was the uh, GT line, all wheel drive. Um, which starts well, the the light rear wheel drive, the base model starts at fifty five thousand dollars, which is not cheap. Okay, but it's Fine. you know when you compare it to you know a uh, high end Telluride or Explorer or anything like that, it's not crazy expensive either. It's it's a little it's a you know a few thousand dollars more. Mm-hmm. The GT line, the loaded version that I had, seventy three thousand nine hundred dollars, <laughs> which is. <laughs> You know, now now you're encroaching on uh, Rivian territory there, um, mm. without without as much performance as as a Rivian. Um, yeah. But um, you know, it it does have I would say you know more room in the third row um, mm-hmm. compared to the the Rivian um, R1S, and uh, you know you can also get the uh, the light, um, which is the the entry trim level with the long range rear wheel drive. For fifty nine thousand dollars, and the the wind all wheel drive for sixty four, um, and that that mid that wind all wheel drive. If you need all wheel drive, that wind all wheel drive is kind of the sweet spot, which yeah. is typical. You know, usually you don't want the top end, you don't want the bottom end, you want something. You want in the something middle. in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so you know that's that's not a bad choice. Right now, these are still sourced from Korea. Uh, yeah. Middle of twenty twenty four, they will start. They were they're adding production of the EV nine at um, Kia's uh, assembly plant in West Point, Georgia. West Point. Yep. So at that point, it'll start to be eligible for tax credits. So that'll that'll help bring the price down. But um, you know, aside from the price, I I really do like the EV9 uh, as as a three row crossover. Yeah. Uh, you know, the it's obviously not as efficient as the smaller ones like the EV6 and the Ionic Five because uh, it's it's bigger. It's got you know, it's heavier. It's got um, you know, larger frontal area, more more aerodynamic drag, but it it actually did quite a bit better in terms of efficiency than the uh, um, than the EPA numbers would suggest. Okay. So the the base rear wheel drive standard range model is rated at two hundred thirty miles of range. That's the fifty five thousand dollar one. The uh, long range uh, rear wheel drive three hundred and four miles is what it's rated at. Um, and the GT line, uh, which has bigger wheels and tires, um, is rated at 270. I drove it. Uh, I drove the EV9 about uh, 160 miles, um, and the 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 rating, the EPA rating on that GT line is is 42 kilowatt hours per hundred miles, which is about mm-hmm. 2.4 miles per kilowatt hour, which doesn't sound great. But what I actually averaged over the couple of days I drove it about a hundred, like I say, about 150, 160 miles was 3.1 miles per kilowatt hour. Oh, nice. Which is actually really good for a vehicle yeah. that size. Yeah, that when size. I, when I drove the R1S, it averaged closer to about two, 2.1 miles per kilowatt hour. 
and it's a similarly sized vehicle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's this is actually quite an efficient vehicle. So, you know, if you if even if you had the GT line, I think you would have no trouble at all getting over 300, well over 300 miles of range out of it. Um, yeah. And, you know, when most of the driving I did was on the highway at, you know, 60 to 75 miles an hour. Um, you know, the first 50 miles or so from LAX to Pomona in LA traffic, you know, was averaging more like about 30 miles an hour, uh, yeah. on the, on the freeway. But, um, once I was driving, driving South, it was, it was, you know, much faster and it still did, you know, still doing, you know, 3.1 miles per kilowatt hour. So really, really impressive vehicle. Um, or, and it's very roomy, very nice inside, nice, nice materials, nice fit and finish. Um, I, you know, I think if you are looking, if you, if you want a three row crossover, uh, and you're, you're looking for something electric, you know, there's obviously not a lot of choices right now, but this okay. is definitely one worth taking a look at if you're in the market for a three row crossover. So well, I get to, I am driving that in the, in January. So okay. a little bit behind on you on that, but I'll, I'll pick up on that in January. Yeah, so it's uh, it it it's definitely worth a look. Um, you know, it doesn't have a, a huge trunk, unfortunately. It's kind of a you know, there's a small storage compartment under the front, but it's got a good amount of space in the in the back, um, and you can fold down obviously the second and third row seats and make it much larger in the back if you need to carry larger stuff. Um, so it's it's definitely worth uh, worth consideration if if you're in the market for something like that. And over the next year and a half, two years, we'll have significantly more choices in that segment yeah. as well. The Hyundai Ionic 7, Ford's coming out with something end of next year, early 2025, uh, that is, you know, an ex what they call an Explorer class EV. Right. Um, we'll see how that one is. Um, and there's, there's definitely going to be other choices available. They're, they're coming. I mean, yeah. that's like, that's what we were talking about with the, the, the pace of EV growth and, and things of that nature being more 25 and 26, I think is where we're going to start to see more activity really. Yeah. Um, Cause even if we've got 60 or 70 EVs right now, there's still 340 other kinds of cars out there. And, and uh, it sounds like a lot when you say you've got 70 EVs to choose from or 60 right now. Um, but it's still a small, but a lot, a lot of them are still in pre uh, premium segments. Yeah. Uh, so if you're looking for, you know, something a little more affordable, mainstream, the choices are a lot slimmer. Yeah, yeah, they are. So, uh, but that's good. Good. I'm looking forward to driving that one. All right. So let's uh, talk about some more weeks. Let's talk about something that is at least <clears throat> by brand nominally should be something more mainstream that you and I both had a chance to drive. Yeah. Which yep. is the Chevy Blazer EV. What did you think? Yeah. I, to me, I liked it. There was a lot that I liked about driving it. Um, I I felt that I thought it felt good. I thought it felt planted. I thought it felt really stable. Um, I do like the way that it looks. One of the things that that I keep thinking about is they didn't have a, a regular ice blazer there to compare it to, and and they kind of don't want to. Um, is when we see we live in Detroit, right? So we've snack seen those these things knocking around a little bit here and there, and every time I see one on the road here, it's it's that kind of double take wait, which one is it? What is it? Is it, it's a blazer, but it doesn't look quite like a blazer. And there's not enough of them around to, to go, oh yeah, it's EV already. Um, so I, it's a very comfortable and familiar design. 
it looks good, but it's very comfortable and familiar compared with something like a, a Hyundai Ionic 5 or a Kia EV6 um, that are not. <laughs> and so, you know, we've talked about those, those before. I think um, I, a, a lot of people are really attracted to the futuristic styling of those. Um, some people aren't. Um, but Chevrolet has gone a different route with that. And it's probably the right route for that brand. Um, if the the issue for getting into this hockey stick that we that we kind of want to see, um, part of that is familiarity and, and comfort, um, and bringing people in that that it you know takes some of the the some of the hesitation out by keeping it into a shape that you're comfortable with and you know, and it's a beautiful shape. It is a good looking car. Um, so I, I think that's going to be interesting as we watch the the Blazer and the Equinox come into the market and. And where that that plays, there should ultimately be enough vehicles that you can have a futuristic styled and a comfortably styled, and everything plays together. It's all good. But um, it's and even like we're going to digress just for a slight second to the photos of the Cadillac Mistake um, that were released this week as well. That looks like an EV, but very much feels XT6 as well. Mm-hmm. So you do have that familiarity with the Cadillac vehicle that you've already got out there so i thought that was interesting about it as well that the design is is is, is really quite like the regular blazer and and at the dinner i was speaking with one of the designers and and he was explaining how they wanted to bring the sporty performance elements into the design of the interior with the vents and i'm like so this is the same story that we had when you launched the ice blazer a few years ago so we're just kind of keeping well, the same, a lot same of the things. camaro design elements into it into the interior and he's like yes exactly and i'm like okay it's been a few years uh but that does a few things you know that does keep it familiar that does keep a theme going within the with the gm family um and with the chevrolet brand so i think that'll i think it'll work well for chevrolet to be comfortable and familiar but i liked the way that it drove um you know use their their embedded system and i thought it was really fast that the, the the and the Android operating system was really really quick in the way that it executed, and and sitting in the display vehicle as well, and, and rerouting and showing the the mm-hmm. different route planning, it just was fast, really fast. Uh, it was like, it was the opposite of what we experienced last year with the Cadillac Lyric launch. Yeah, which yeah, was totally slow <laughs> and buggy, and yeah, you know, this time yeah. they 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 fixed the problems. They fixed the problems in that, and it was really really quick, and I like. The, that 17.7 inch screen that the the uh, navigation map goes really to the edges of the screen and so you're really using all of that screen real estate which has not been true of all of the so many times you get these larger screens and they just still don't use the full real estate there um so i liked the interior i liked the way that that system worked yes there's pushback about not being able to hook up your phone but um i'm i i i'm, I'm less concerned about that particular issue i think that it'll be something that people talk about for a while but if you go ahead and make that choice i think you adapt to it pretty quickly you still can hook up your iphone and do text messages and do phone calls and you still can stream your music off your iphone so it's not that you can't and it, and it shows your you iPhone. your playlists and everything on the screen yep. you know so yeah the, the only thing oh. really you're losing is kind of the carplay look and feel but right. not the functionality right uh, you lose ways, I think. I don't. I don't think that the the GM system has ways in it. But that's true. That's yeah, there. Yeah, ways. Ways is uh, not available in the the Play Store. Yeah. Right. So, but you've got Google Maps, and that comes down to kind of a, a of a choice thing. But what you also gain 
is in using their system and, and Google Maps, you're going to get better routing. And over time, they, they're going to introduce more things that, that do that. I mean, an example of that, of introducing more things to the system is, is the, the Tahoe and, and uh, Suburban coming out will have um, a routing based on towing. Because you've already got that the the, the systems in in that vehicle for um, saving your trailer profiles and whatnot. That's been part of GM's trucks for a few years. Putting that data into and making it in, available to the embedded Google system, they're able to route you, understanding what your trailer is, and give you make sure that you're not you know routing you under a, a bridge that's too low or you know, the type of road that's just not going to be conducive for that. So there's things that are going to come together that, that give you a better experience um, because that system understands what's going on with your vehicle. With battery electric vehicles, it can be preconditioning along the route when they know you're going to, when they know you've programmed a charging point in there and things like that. Um, so I think that ultimately people will, will kind of get used to it. They'll, you know, breaking the, the, the cord of using if you're dedicated to Apple Maps, you're probably not going to be happy. But I don't know. I'm in the I'm in the Google Maps camp, so <laughs> like yeah, I'm fine. Well, and, <laughs> I don't you know, I think I think the, the the big thing you get with the Google the built-in Google Maps <laughs> is the the routing, the charge routing, where they're yeah. they're integrating. You know, they've got the terrain information. They're they're pulling in weather information. They've got you know where where you're going. They've got the information about where the chargers are and they're they're doing the they're they're doing the sort of functionality that you have if you've ever used uh, a better route planner, which right. is right. you know figuring out you know based on where what your destination is, what your current state of charge is, and what traffic and everything else, all the other variables, you know where are the best places for you to stop, so that you can get to your destination and and you know they'll even suggest you know how long you should sit there. You know, how how long you should charge at a particular charger right. before you go on, so you're not wasting a lot of time, um, and uh, you know, so that's that's one of the key things that they're trying to do with with this, with forcing everybody into the the Google Maps using using the built-in Google Maps system. The downside will be, you know, the, as they launch this now, they they've said that for the first eight years or so, which gives you two owners, yeah, <laughs> basically, um, it's included. Uh, with it, no charge, and so after that, maybe they start charging in five years, maybe they start charging in three or four. That's going to be the downside. Is that it, ultimately it's going to be something you're going to have to pay for? Yeah, at some, at some um, point down the road, you know, yeah. a customer will have to pay for a connectivity subscription that that's bundled right yeah, now. It'll, it'll, yeah, it'll, and and it'll that'll be part of it. And you know how much that is, and how much people object to it. Kind of wait and see. Um, people talk about subscriptions being too much but then they keep using them so <laughs> you know it's 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 one of those things we love to to complain about um you know there may be some people that just say i don't i'm not going to consider it because i can't plug carplay into it but uh they're probably doing themselves a disservice because yeah. it's a good system and yeah, it's I mean, changed even, but even if you're if you're an iphone user if you were considering one of these you should definitely go and Take a look at one at, at yeah. a dealer, you know, play with it, you know, spend a half hour, an hour with it and see what it's like before yep. you make a final decision. You know, don't just automatically discount it. I mean, you may decide, no, I absolutely want CarPlay and that's, that's fine. There's yep. a lot of other choices for you for now, at least. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Jim Farley insists that, nope, we're keeping it. But uh-huh. two years from now, we'll see. Um, but, um, you know, there, there's, it, it's definitely check it out for yourself and see what, what, how you feel about the experience. I would agree. And I'm, you know, and, and, and as far as why, why an automaker might pull back on, you know, that statement or, or Honda and Acura might decide ultimately that they don't want to, it, it, it is an extra cost for the automaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if you plug in your CarPlay, you feel like it's free, but it has not it's, free. It's, There's it's, some money changing hands there somewhere down the road. And, and it costs yeah. for them to make sure that their over-the-air updates continue to support new versions of CarPlay, new versions of iPhones. So there is a cost embedded into that system. And we are in a point where where every, well, you're always at a point where every penny counts. You've been on vehicle yeah. programs before. they It's always been, but it's even more intense at this point with EVs not yet profitable. And it, you know, whatever that cost is, you, you can have engineers and, and designers and, and and um, program planners arguing about 50 cents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where you save a oh, cost. Trust me. I've been in those conversations as an engineer. Absolutely. And so if I don't know what the number is for, for CarPlay, but if it's a hundred bucks a car, if you can pull it out and, and well, give I, the consumer a good experience, that's yeah. the flip side. And, and GM does have to, my, my, yeah, it's up, it is, it's up to GM really to prove. So far. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, but if they can do that, yeah, that's a that's a, a fifty or hundred bucks. That that matters. Yeah, that and, and matters. it's 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 my, it's my understanding that they they don't they don't have to pay Apple and Google for CarPlay for to use CarPlay. But there is the cost of doing the integration. You know, software right. development is not is not free, and right. so doing the integration and providing the support and doing the updates that that is a a very mm-hmm. non trivial cost. Uh, right. and so if you can, and, and it's also, you know, the more components you add to a software stack, the more places there are for things to go wrong and for bugs oh. to happen and things to crash. And, you know, if you can take things out that you think are not, you know, are not necessary, then, you know, you can, ideally you can make the system more reliable. Right. So hopefully and- that will be the case. Hopefully that will be the case. And then when you look at it, I mean, your Android and I'm iPhone, um, but I find that a lot of vehicles that I'm in, the iPhone connectivity is not always great, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but, the, uh, you know, BMWs don't seem to be able to maintain a wireless connection. It just sort of drops in the middle and then maybe comes back. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've had a number of vehicles where I, I tend to plug in uh, uh, a lot too, um, that if you like aren't thinking and you get in the car and you and you plug it in and then you hit the start button it's never going to connect um so you have to time it just right (laughs) to make sure it works so it's interesting hearing um hearing pushback and hearing comments and seeing whether it's facebook or or social media and and people say well i wouldn't consider this because it doesn't offer carplay like your carplay experience isn't perfect man yeah i mean if if you have to connect an external device to drive the interface in in your car (laughs) You know, that's, that's a big opportunity for things to go wrong. You know, in, in my wife's Honda Civic, you know, her, her Android auto drops out all the time. You know, it just, it loses connection to the phone and it's a wired connection. It's not even, yep, it doesn't I've, even have wireless. Yeah. It's, it's wired. And, and I've had it happen in other vehicles as well. So, you know, th- again, that's, 
that's an opportunity for yep. errors that are frustrating and, and degrade the customer experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So besides, now we've got handled the entertainment side yeah. of, the, of the Blazor question. Um, and it's, it's an important one. It's one that's going to be talked about for a while, but, but I think that it'll settle down. Um, as people, as it gets in owners' hands and owners start using it, and owners start saying, oh, I'm happy with this. Um, some probably won't, but, you know, the ones, I, my experience with that, I, it was good. So I, don't, <laughs> I feel like it would work. Um, but other, I liked the way that it drove. I like the way that it looks. I feel like it'll be a nice, it'll sit well in the Chevy lineup. Again, we're going to hit price. Um, yeah. Because the that's... one that we had was 60 grandish, and that that's that's a fair there's a yeah, fair amount of that's, money. That's and that's going to be a big issue, you know. Especially, and I think this is part of probably part of why they they don't want us comparing it directly to the internal combustion blazer. Yeah, I've got the Chevy building price open in front of me right now. Uh, a two LT front wheel drive blazer starts at thirty seven thousand dollars. Yeah, the the cheapest blazer EV, you know, the front wheel drive. Um, two LT Blazer EV, they say is going to be under fifty thousand dollars. Whenever right. they say under some number, it means it's like forty nine nine ninety five. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. At at best, it might be forty nine five. You know, yeah. it's it's going to be basically fifty thousand dollars. So you're looking at fourteen thousand dollar premium to go f- from that. Now, granted, the the EV is larger, and that was one of the issues I had with it. Um, it is, you know, I I I too very much like the design. I think it's a it's a fairly bold design, uh, but not, you know, not crazy looking or futuristic. But um it's wide. It is, it is like wide. four inches wider than a Mustang Mach E or a Model Y. Uh you know, and you know, asked, you know, what's the competition for this vehicle? You know, Chevy said, well there really there isn't really a direct competitor to this in the market. Which yeah, if you're looking strictly based on size for a mid-size two-row crossover, they're right. There, there isn't a mid-size two-row electric crossover that is the same size as this, because this thing is like seven inches longer than a Maki. Yeah, it's four inches wider, um, mm-hmm. and nine hundred pounds heavier than. I felt the weight. Than, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's you part of the reason that it felt so stable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and. They've, they've done some really interesting things from a powertrain perspective because because it's electric, you have a lot of flexibility in where you put the motors. I mean, we saw this past year, Polestar went from having a dual motor with two identical motors plus a front-wheel drive single-motor version to making the single motor a rear-wheel drive and and then all-wheel drive with two different size motors. And for the Blazer, this is kind of the first time that anybody's offering a vehicle that you can have with front-wheel drive rear wheel drive or all wheel drive. And so the, the ones we had to drive were the RS trim level, which is the, the mid trim level. And the first day we got to drive the rear wheel drive RS, mm-hmm. which has the larger 340 horsepower motor. That is, it's the same motor that's in the Cadillac Lyric. It's essentially it. This is a Cadillac Lyric with Chevy styling on it. It is mechanically identical, same battery, same motors, everything, same suspension. Um, and uh, then the all-wheel drive RS has a smaller front motor and a smaller rear motor. So it is more 
it's more like the uh, it's more like a typical front wheel drive based vehicle with all wheel drive. So basically, like the the gas Blazer, you know, where it'll divert you know ten to twenty percent of the torque to the rear axle when you need some extra traction, and they call that the e e all wheel drive. So you got the big motor in the front, and it okay. handles because it's a little more front weight biased. It handles more like a front wheel drive car. <clears throat> and um, it understeers more. The rear drive was a lot, it was more powerful, but, you know, because 288 for the all wheel drive, 340 for the rear drive. It's a big difference. Yeah. And it they feel distinctly different. The, mm -hmm. uh, the rear drive feels more lively, both because it's got more power, but also because the, the power is at the rear axle. So, you know, you can, you can, it's not quite, I wouldn't call it a drift machine, but you know, you can get it to turn a little more as you're going through corners. Whereas the, the all wheel drive tends to understeer more, yeah. um, which I definitely felt in, in some early curves, but a lot of the roads that they had us driving on were fairly narrow and this is a wide car and yeah. you feel that width on those narrow twisting mountain roads, um, which can be challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, yeah, that was that was definitely true in that space. I did like the rear drive um, a little bit better as well. But thinking about the all-wheel drive one too, uh, other than the width, just thinking about a, a buyer who is uh, really looking for, you know, standard transportation mm -hmm. for the most part, right? Um, they they if they're choosing Blazer, if they're going that way, they like the sportier styling, so they went a little bit. But it's not necessarily a performance driver. That's, right. that's getting into that and thinking about um that that sort of just common everyday driving um it, it's it's as nice not nicer than some of the ice in, in that mm -hmm. space it's a oh, little yeah, quieter definitely. um the extra width is tough on a road like that um but i have a feeling that if you're talking about a family if you're talking about kids if you're talking about that just sort of day-to-day -day living they're going to find that that extra width is comfortable um, and I, I'm not a lie to me. I always look kind of narrow and strange anyway. Yeah, so it, 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 it looks does. a little bit better that way. The model, y, the Mustang Mach E, I don't think looks as narrow. Uh, yeah, it's, but... its proportions are a little better than the, yeah. the Y. The, the Y looks a little tall. Yeah, it looks awkward to me, but um, neither here nor there. So I think I think that hitting the mark of where a Blazer needs to be uh, in terms of driving, in terms of, of that use case, I think it's it's right there. And you know, I'm just thinking of different people that I've had in the car with me over time or whatever, and thinking about my big, tall brother-in-law. And mm -hmm. uh, he's a big, tall guy. <laughs> He'll like that extra width. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I think that, 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 that when you get into the passengers and when you get into to driving it as a family, I think people will appreciate that um, until they go on the canyon road and have to avoid the bicyclist. Yeah, well, there, there's that, and and then there's also the price point, um, you know, which, yeah, you know, for for reference, the 2024 Cadillac Lyric rear wheel drive, same 340 horsepower, um, starts at fifty eight thousand five hundred ninety dollars. An RS all wheel drive, sixty one thousand seven hundred ninety dollars. That's. You know, I, I have a real hard time justifying the extra $3,000 in the Blazer. Yeah, that's going to be a struggle. Yeah. That's going to be a struggle. Um, and and even the, even the all-wheel drive LT is like 57 Yeah. Uh, yeah, 57000 You've got to find a way to get that pricing off the Cadillac. You can't, you can't have your Blazer priced on top of your Lyric. Yeah. 
that's yeah. that's that's going to be a difficult proposition. I mean, in in truth, you know, uh, a Cadillac um, and tender is probably not looking at a Chevrolet. So you're not, but in, in a normal circumstance, in a normal world. But when you're looking at electric vehicles, and and if people are filtering electric first and brand second, and then price, then you're going to get some overlap, and you're going to get some cross shopping that you wouldn't get mm-hmm. on an ICE. Um, you probably well, the, cat, the Cadillac buyer. Cadillac buyer might not be looking at the Chevrolet, but do you think that Chevrolet buyer might be looking at the Blazer and say, you know, I kind of like the look of that Cadillac over there, you know, and then realize, well, I can get a Cadillac for the same price or less, you know, for the same equipment. Yeah. I I think that's more likely to be the case, especially because you're filtering EV. Yeah. Um, If you were, if you're Chevrolet, Tahoe and Cadillac Escalade, you're really not going to, you're not going to get that overlap as much well the pricing (laughs) doesn't doesn't overlap so even if you try to do that but intention so if you're if you're in the ice traditional structure you're you're filtering out a little bit differently but when you're in the ev structure and if you're selected ev first and that's where you're going you are going to be putting these two up against each other um and yeah the cadillac brand and tender might just think, oh, I don't want to go to, to EV, but I think, all right, well, I want to go to Chevrolet, but the Chevrolet and Tender may, um, they're taking a little bit more time with those numbers. Um, and they may look at that and go, I don't know, I could just step up to the Cadillac and um, get a little bit different interior. Um, Blazer does have a bigger screen at the moment. No, oh, that's not true. Cadillac has uh, it. Yeah, they're pretty close because the, yeah. you get 33 inches across Yeah, uh, in, the, in the Cadillac. So it's, it's, yeah, I still haven't. I haven't driven a Lyric since we drove it in Salt Lake. Yeah, or, not very many people have. Or whatever it was. So, um, And then when we get the ZDX and the Prologue in there uh, as well, uh, this pricing isn't is, it's not going to be too, the Acura is a little bit more, and but you're you're going to have some pricing issues. And, and it's going to change brand dynamics a little bit or has potential to um, at that price point. We're waiting for prices to get a little bit more settled and that's going to take more time. And I, I wonder, you know, I mean, Honda has, you know, they haven't released detailed pricing for the prologue yet, other than to say that, you know, it'll start under $50,000. So it sounds like it's going to be priced about the same as the Blazer because it's, yeah. you know, it's the same size, it's got the same powertrains in it. Um, so I, I wonder if that had anything to do with the decision by Honda and GM to split up on, the low cost EVs that they were doing, you know, cause maybe Honda figured, you know, that they just can't get down to the price points they want, you know, working with the Altium architecture. I am not sure um, where that, that broke down. Um, but, but somewhere in there, the, the, those conversations didn't, they just went sideways and, yeah. and, and Honda, my understanding, Honda wasn't, wasn't particularly happy, but I, I don't, I'm not, not to fly on the wall in that room. So it's, I, I don't want to go too crazy and speculating as to why, um, if it was price or if it was something else or if it was timing or, and, but Honda also, you know, was, was looking at three or four EV powertrain or EV platforms and it felt like they didn't know what they wanted to do mm-hmm. and had kind of hooked up with the, with the GM, um, Prologue and ZDX to get it out quickly and then looked at that and said, okay, well, we can kind of keep going and, and move a little bit more more quickly, but it didn't it didn't feel like they knew exactly what they wanted. And I think one of the changes might have been just they've settled down a little bit and made their 
their independent plan um, yeah. a little bit more. Whether they've shared that enough of that plan or not, we're going to hear more about that plan at CES. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna uh, they're gonna show a concept of their their next generation EVs. Yeah, so I I think that there's there's a little bit of of that going on, and, and Honda not being a hundred percent sure what they wanted to do, uh, and taking a path forward that got them there faster, but yeah. maybe wasn't what they really wanted. Yeah, um, but you know, just, despite all the complaints we've had about the Blazer, I agree with you. You know, I thought it was. I thought it was really good to drive. I thought the driving dynamics were, were actually excellent. Um, you know, even, even the steering feel, you know, for, mm -hmm. for an EV with electric power steering. Yeah. You know, I thought it actually had pretty surprisingly good steering feel. Um, so it was, it was quite fun to drive, especially the rear wheel drive version. Didn't love the sound and yeah. talked to the chief engineer about that. And she's like, yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> like apparently that's been, but, but that's something you can easily fix with an OTA update. Well, she said she has to wait till the next model year to really do much about that. Um, and there's uh, there's two versions, there are two levels of the sound that 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 I was noticing. There's the low speed noise mm. that that is mandated, and and the mandate doesn't necessarily say what it has to sound like, but they are all kind of similar. And that that low speed noise was bugging me sometimes because we were we, I'd be stopping in a stoplight. And so that noise starts because you're stopped in stoplight, but you're not, and then you start to go and the noise doesn't go away mm -hmm. until you're at that 25 miles an hour or whatever. I'm like, I'm driving, I'm moving this really annoying. I don't think I had the radio on at that point. Um, so it's a very annoying noise. But even when you're on the road, I didn't, I didn't love the sound. But even as I say that, um, I don't have, I don't think we've settled on what that should be. Mm -hmm. So all I could say was I didn't like the sound very well, but I, kind of feel bad saying that out loud because I can't tell you what I what it needs to be. I, think, I can't I tell think, you I think until what we that tone time to should be. Spend more time with it. You know, yeah. might be able to judge that a little better. Yeah. All right. Um, well, earlier you you briefly referenced the Cadillac Vistic, Vistic, or however the hell they're pronouncing. I have no idea. I I think it's Vistic because when they first showed us the the Celestic, they they called it Celestic, yeah. not Celestic, and I think they're yeah, apart from the Escalade IQ, you know, they're they're going with Lyric, optic. Yeah, on, yeah, on the end. So um the Vistic, you know, like the optic that we saw a few weeks ago, you know, they they have revealed, you know, the 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 other two EVs that they promised us before the end of the year without actually telling us anything about them other than how they look and roughly what the size is. And the yeah. Vistic is is their three row uh utility. Um what did you think of it? Uh, similar to the Blazer, right? It, it looks very familiar. It looks from from the side. You you read XT6, and it, it's not gonna it's not gonna scare away. But the thing is, XT6 is pretty, but kind of boring. So it's kind of boring. But the front, the lights, and 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 the front and the rear, and the way that they've handled that, it does speak to their to the Cadillac EV sort of design theme. So the whole package, looks yeah, I mean, it's nice. consistent with Lyric and Escalade and and Optic yeah. and and. and, and so it's, it's attractive in that way, but again, it's still you're still thinking you're still looking in a very conservative approach, um, and and kind of mirroring and mim and mimicking uh, what your what your gas vehicles kind of overall shape is. So that is it's a three row. Yeah, <laughs> you know you need the height in the three row in order to have uh, the space then for for your passengers and and things like that. So there's there's you know there's the how far can you really go with that yeah, shape? The, the, the lyrics kind of a fastback profile whereas this is much more boxy and a little taller roof line 
Um, and it, it, the the analog is you know the X, the current XT5 and XT6, which are on the yep. same same architecture. I think maybe even the yeah. same wheelbase, or maybe the XT6 is slightly. XT6 is longer. Yeah, but longer. yeah, it's got a boxier profile to it, mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing here. You know, you look at it, looking at you know they 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 gave us two images. And said it's a 2026 model year, and that's literally all they've told us. All they've told nothing, us. nothing else. Yeah, you know, but looking at like the the doors, it looks like it has the same push button door handles. You know, that are, mm -hmm. you you push it, it looks like a door handle that should pop out from the door, but in fact, you know, as on the lyric, I think it's you know it's just there. You press it, and the door pops out the same way it does on the Mach E. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think so. So uh, yeah. It's and the other, I, yeah. It's I think that that it might see production. It will see production in China as well, and I think it might see production in China earlier than it does here. Same with optic, yeah, uh, by a few surprised. months, not by not by years, by a few months. So that's part of so and part of releasing the photos when they is is after the photos were uh, released, and and some of my colleagues were talking about it. Uh, at least one of them had noted he'd seen it on the road. So. That's been something that GM talked about a while ago is, is releasing those photos a little bit earlier um, uh, enabled them to to really be testing their vehicles without cladding, without um, anything in the way, because they've already shown what it looks like and they're not worried about hiding it. So um, it's been it's been out and around in Detroit um, and you do a double take. And you go, I'm not quite sure what that is, but that's an XT6, that's, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, kind of a cross between an XT6 and a Lyric, you know, Lyric front end, yeah. XT6 back end, yeah. Um, but so that's it. And, and I think with General Motors, again, I, I still, you know, it's, it's a, it's a large company with needs high volume sales in general for, for most of the brands. Um, and, and getting from ICE to EV is a lot too about in, in that mid section about you know, getting people who aren't necessarily comfortable with that level of change and, and how do you bring them in? And having a design and having things that, that look forward but are still familiar may just be the sweet spot for this company. Um, it wouldn't be for Rivian because yeah. Rivian doesn't have a past and it needs to break through and it needs to do something different. It wouldn't have been for Tesla. Um, so when you look at different companies, Ford, it's going to need to find that a similar blend too, that that their design is – and they did it pretty well with a, with a Mustang Mach-E, that it looks different, but it's still – it's still something you can identify as a Ford because we need to, in 25 and 26 and 27, get people who are not necessarily intenders to really think about it. In 24 and 23, we're still we're still looking at people who are, like we talked about, who are, who are going to go EV first. Yeah. Um, they've already made that decision. Um, we then, to, to flip that switch, you need to get people who are ice first and, 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 and are willing to to consider it so yeah all right well some at some point in 2024 we should be learning more about the cadillac vista yeah. uh besides what it looks like um and uh prob there probably won't be any huge surprises there uh but uh <laughs> the um uh one one vehicle that um has had a an, un an exceptionally long lifespan it's the ford crown victoria uh, yeah. you know, it went out of production 11 years ago in 2012 yeah. was the last, the last ones that were built. Uh, and I, I'd actually just saw something recently 
the last two Crown Vicks that were in service in the New York taxi fleet are actually about to be retired. There's still two left in service in New York City uh, as running as yellow cabs. Um, and, you know, the you know, this is on the same platform as the old uh, Lincoln Town Car. Actually, two of my neighbors have town cars that they still drive. Uh, so, uh, you know, this, the, the, the platform for this thing is, you know, literally indestructible. One of the reasons why taxis and, and police forces love these things so much is they were, they were cheap. They were, they were fairly reliable. Um, and they were really easy to fix and keep running. And, um, apparently the, uh, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department was so enamored with the Crown Victoria that when Ford announced that they were going to retire them and replace them with, you know, with something based on the Taurus um, mm -hmm. and, and the Explorer, um, they bought and stockpiled a whole bunch of them, more, more than 600 of them. They, they put in a last minute order of 600 Crown Vicks in 2011 um, and just parked them. And, you know, as older Crown Vicks get retired, they put the new ones they in. Um, as of today, as of the December 2020, 2023, they still have 429 of those <laughs> running in the uh, in the L.A. Sheriff's Department fleet. Um, so the L.A. Sheriff's Department, probably one of the last police forces still using, using. Crown Vicks. I feel like I saw one on the road the other day when I was driving around, and I. It's funny that you brought that up because I was like, "Yeah, those those still are kicking around here. We're in Detroit. We see them every now and again." Oh yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't it seen... wasn't in good condition for a police car. It was, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, the body you know, was pretty tired. But... Yeah, a lot a lot of people, you know, will buy you know buy them. You know, when when police retire them, you know, yeah. uh, you can you know often buy them at auction, you know, dirt cheap, um, and just keep driving them indefinitely. Um, and you know, they do look, they do tend to look pretty rough. I mean, usually by the time they're done with police duty, um, you know, they're often pretty worn out, but you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the yellow cabs we see are actually former police cars. You know, yeah. most of them were not bought new as cabs. They were bought new as police cars and then transformed into cabs. Um, but you know, they just keep going. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of, kind of like the old uh, checker cabs that, you know, kept running and running and running for years after checker went out of business. Um, I'll, I'll be curious to see how many um, current generation Dodge Chargers are still running a decade from now for for police forces. Probably not uh, that many. Maybe maybe they're less, a little bit less popular, uh, but there's still a lot of Chargers around here. Yeah. And because it hasn't changed... I mean, there've been some design updates, but the, the overall shape of the vehicle hasn't changed a tremendous amount. There's a lot of them around here. Oh yeah, yeah. Michigan State Police uses a lot of them. Uh, various other local police forces use them. Um, and uh, but you know, even those are going out of production next week. Mm -hmm. uh, in production. So, uh, but actually, just this past week, uh, yesterday, I guess as we were recording this Friday, uh, they ended production of the uh, Camaro. And the Bolt in uh, mm -hmm. uh, Lansing and Orion, Michigan. So, uh, a lot, a lot of stuff uh, being retired this year. Yeah, and it's and they did keep to the uh, to the schedule of retirement, even even with the strikes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a bit of a, of a wondering if they were going to have to, you know, build out a little bit more 
a little bit longer because they lost some strike time. But well, yeah, I mean those those, those two plans. models, those two plants were yeah, those they, two weren't effective. Yeah, they never got struck. But yeah, um, well, I don't think the charger. Oh no, was that, that one wasn't struck either? So yeah. so we're good. Um, we can. So you know, one of the things that uh, cops usually like to do. Uh, well, I don't know. I wouldn't say they like to do it. One of the one of their <laughs> jobs is catching people who are driving while impaired. Um, and um, and when the infrastructure bill was passed in 2021, one of the things that was stuck in there was uh, yeah. a requirement for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to put put together rules mm -hmm. by 2026 that would require anti drunk driving technology in new vehicles. Um, you know, Impaired driving is still one of the leading cause of traffic fatalities in the United States. Um, over 13,000 in 2021 were related to drunk driving, 13,000 deaths. Um, and that's, you know, th that's, that's a major issue. And this, you know, uh, this is, you know, one of the reasons as well, you know, why there's been so much effort to try to do autonomous vehicles, you know, because mm -hmm. automated vehicles don't drink. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, in the meantime, while they're still trying to get that working, um, you know, they, they are working on technologies to detect drunk driving. And uh, this week, NHTSA um, put out uh, a request for comment, um, and uh, there will be a link in the, uh, in the show notes um, for companies to um, – uh, or for any, actually anybody to comment on the proposed regulations – um, which, you know, are targeted, uh, 2026. Um, but, uh, you know, there, I've seen, I've had demonstrations of a number of different technologies. I had, uh, you know, in one, one approach is actually using the driver monitor systems that they're using for the, um, uh, for, uh, um, systems like super cruise and blue cruise right. to detect, you know, drivers, you know, looking at the driver's eyes and head pose yeah. to look for. Things like drowsiness, impairment, you know, uh, indications yep. of that. Uh, but um, I also got a demo this past summer from Magna um, of a sensor that they've developed um, that detects um, certain things in the uh, in the driver's breath. So it's not like a breathalyzer that the police would use that you blow into. You don't. Mm -hmm. The driver doesn't have to actually have to actively do anything. It's mounted uh, by the steering wheel. Um, and just, it's detecting, I forget what it is, certain compounds, uh, in the, in the, the driver's breath when, when you exhale. Um, and if it detects a, a certain concentration of those compounds, it will prevent the car from starting. Um, and so, and, and one of the things breathalyzers like, like the police use, those require occasional periodic calibration. Right. Uh, they have to do some maintenance, replacing filters and things like that on them. That's not the case with this type of sensor. It doesn't require any calibration, doesn't re require any maintenance. Um, and so those are the types of solutions that they're that they're trying to find uh, to to do this stuff. Um, you got any thoughts on on this technology? It's it it's going to be interesting to see what what works and is repeatable um, and with people over time and we were talking we've been talking about affordability and vehicles uh and this is going to add cost mm -hmm. for sure and that means the consumer has to kind of decide and so i mean if it's mandated it's mandated but 
you know, what, what do you, what do you, what do you not do? What do you, how do you, how do you keep your vehicles affordable when you're adding this technology? And that's a safety question we've had for almost any safety feature we've added into it. Um, it, it doesn't sound like yeah, it's on paper, like do it, save those 13,000, make it all work. Uh, but there's cost to it. And, and I, I think there's going to be a, a, a significant uh, requirement to prove that it works it, it, and, and that it's not just picking out false positives. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the key. That's, that's the, false the key. Positives. The false positives, if those are too high, you know, you you really, you can't have people not being able to drive their vehicles when they're sober. Um, you know, yeah, deterring, deterring impaired driving is a good thing. That, that's a good thing. Like, that's great. Yeah. But no, you know, no, no complaints about be, that. No complaints about that at all. Um, but you know, it, and, and, and can we prove out the technology well enough in, in a two year period when it's not really in use? I mean, are we, we're going to find out, we're really going to find out how well it works when, when you've got millions of people, when, when you mandate it for 26 model year and you then sell 16 million units that year, that's when you're going to really find out which system is, is truly reliable um, and which one is not. And it's probably not just going to be one system. Right. It's probably going to be I a mean, combination it... of, of breath detection and the driver monitor, you know, because you, the, the nice thing about the driver monitor systems is in addition to potential impairment, they can also detect drowsiness or distraction right. or, or a medical emergency. Um, yeah. which you're not going to get with other systems. Right. So it's, you know, it, it make people safer is, is, is always good, but the implementation is going to be, is going to be the challenge. Um, and maybe it just goes smoothly. That's possible. And, you know, everything goes. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the question is how, mu how much of a tolerance are you going to allow? I mean, the legal limit yeah. in the United States is 0.8% blood alcohol content, uh, which is a fairly low level, but it's enough to cause, yeah. um, you know, issues with, with driving yeah um but you know if you have the potential for false positives you know you've got to build some tolerance in there and so how much is NHTSA going to allow right above that point eight you know before you detect you know does it have to detect at point one you know point one five you know what 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 threshold will they allow um to try to minimize the false positives uh, yeah because you, you're, you're really you're going to have to have some tolerance in there that's that's a really good question and a really good point too. Like that the 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 point at which it doesn't let you start the car doesn't necessarily have to be the legal limit. It could be much. It could be set to that level where you're more likely to have even more accident. Right? You know, you're really trying to stop the person who's totally. I mean, there's there's some tolerance in there, and yeah. and how tight is it? Um, is is going to play into it as well. Um, so it'll be. It'll, that's going to be an interesting one, and we are, you know, we're going into a we're going into an election year. Does this not scream one of those things? that's going to turn into a political football in yeah. about five minutes. Oh, it absolutely. Will. Um, and and the the message of of safety is may get lost a bit in there. Yeah. Um, but like well, it is the mandate, so yeah, you know, they've got to they've got to at least look for it and try and figure something out. Yeah. Spe or speaking of safety, um, we had a, a big uh, recall this week of two million <sighs> Tesla vehicles uh, mm -hmm. to try to address problems with their driver monitoring capability with autopilot. Um, and you know, I think I did I don't know, five or six interviews on Tuesday when it was announced. 
mm-hmm. and various media. Uh, you know, and you know the the way they're doing. You know, the the fundamental problem is you know that Tesla markets autopilot and and FSD you know in a way that you know they say in the fine print you know when you use it you know your driver's responsible you got to keep your hands on the wheel eyes on the road but they've never really done a very good job of actually enforcing that you know and when i was an engineer you know one of the things i was always taught was you have to anticipate the way you know especially working on things like abs or stability control systems you have to anticipate the way that drivers are going to potentially misuse the system and design the system in a way to mitigate the effects of that. And that's something that I think Tesla has never really done. You know, they, they've said, you know, you're responsible, tough luck if, you know, if anything happens. Yeah. Um, and you know, so, you know, when you look at things like super cruise, you know, where they have capacitor sensors in the steering wheel, an infrared camera for driver monitoring, uh, and various other things that they're looking at. And then Tesla uses a torque sensor in the steering column. Mm-hmm. And until the last couple of years, they didn't use a camera at all. But they only now they only have um, an RGB camera, visible light camera, that is actually very easy to fool, as Consumer Reports demonstrated by just holding up a picture of yourself in front of the <laughs> the camera. Um, you know, there there have been lots of entrepreneurs out there, you know, selling little weights that you can hang on the steering column. That, yeah. uh, you know, or, or, you know, videos showing people just stuffing an orange into the steering wheel, um, or a bottle of water, um, you know, because that extra weight in there, when the auto steer is working, you know, that's just enough to counteract and make it, make the torque sensor think, oh, drivers got their hands on the wheel. That's never right. been a good solution for dr- detecting hands on the wheel. And it's not entirely clear, you know, so Tesla is doing an over the air software update. They're not actually changing any hardware on these vehicles. It's not entirely clear exactly what they're changing. Uh, right. And, you know, I think that this is going to end up being a big nothing. It's not actually going to have any real impact because if they change it too much, their customers are going to complain and then they'll end up changing it back. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and the thing is, everything in this recall is stuff yeah. that was highlighted by the National Transportation Safety Board Back in early 2017, when they completed their investigation of the crash that killed Joshua Brown, the first known fatal crash with autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. They recommended all this stuff that there should be better driver monitor systems and Uh geofencing of the systems. And NHTSA did nothing then. And if they had done something back then in 2016, 2017, if they had just done what NTSB recommended, at that point, you know, there were probably only about 40 or 50,000 vehicles on the road with autopilot. If they had mandated for Tesla and other manufacturers to use an infrared driver monitor camera and capacitor sensors, they could have had that in on before they started production of Model 3, which is when Tesla's sales volumes really took off. And this wouldn't have been an issue. It would have fixed a lot of the problems they've had over the a last six years. Um, so... So NHTSA could have acted faster. Tesla could have just done it. Yeah, well, we know we know they don't like to spend money if they don't absolutely have to. Nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> but, no. Um, but other and, manufacturers and, are, you know, even though they, they they don't they aren't legally required to do it, they've done it anyway. And the difference, I think, 
between the way that Tesla treats something like that and the way that Ford and GM are treating something like that or Mercedes is a hundred years of history. Mm-hmm. It's you've gone through ignition switch recalls. You've gone through side saddle fire recalls. Gas tanks, you've gone yeah. through gas tanks, side saddle gas tanks. You've gone through other, you know, tons of, of recalls and you've gone through Ford's gone through the Firestone tire debacle. You know, there's any number of these that they've gone through. Toyota's gone through unintended, you know, and it's all acceleration accusations because the carpet wasn't quite right. You know, Audi went through that. Um, and, and Tesla hasn't done any of that. So they haven't had that that big billion dollar, oh no, mm-hmm. I really have to fix this sort of scenario. And even this with Tesla doing an over-the-air update, it's not going to pop in their financials, I don't think. Yeah, it's not going to be a big deal yeah, because they don't that. have to change any hardware. They don't have to bring cars into the dealers, their service centers, or anything. Um, so they're still not, even though this is two million vehicles, they're still not having that that moment um, that that really rocks them as a company and that really hits them. Um, and I don't know when or where it'll be by law of averages. It seems like it should happen at some point. Part of it has to do with how many vehicles are on the road. And two million apparently is the number that that NHTSA decided to pay attention to. Um, yeah, I mean that's how many were sold in in the U.S. You know, since they launched autopilot. Right, right. And if you look at the earlier numbers in, in sixteen and seventeen, there weren't very many vehicles on the road. And NHTSA is about numbers too. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not if it's not a huge impact, that's part of their math. How many people? How many vehicles could this impact? If it's going to impact fifteen vehicles, maybe we don't care. I mean, <laughs> that that yeah. that plays into some of, of, of when you look at the reports as you have, um, that plays into it as well. So I, I think that is one of the differences between the way that Tesla operates and the way that the traditional guys do. The traditional guys understand that the that not taking safety seriously is going to is going to hit the bottom line and, and they're going to have a massive problem down the road. And they do. I mean, nobody wants a vehicle to be unsafe. Um, but it, it changes the thing. The lawyers are there for a reason, mm-hmm. um, and you you only you only start really bringing them in after you've figured out that you need them. And Tesla hasn't figured out they need them. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and and the result is Super Cruise and Blue Cruise are really good. Mm-hmm. And, Blue and, Cruise still and, disengages too quickly, but Super Cruise is is, is just amazing. And and it, I, I still have complaints about Ford using a torque sensor instead of capacitor yeah. sensors in the in Blue Cruise, but they do at least have the driver monitor system, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. works really well. Um, all right, one one more Tesla story. This one uh, popped up in Motor Trend this week. Um, it's about a, a German driver, uh, Hans Jörg von Geminjen Hornberg, um, who drives a uh, 2014 Tesla Model S. Before that. Yeah. He had a first-generation Roadster. Uh, he claims he put 400,000 miles on the Roadster, which is impressive for that vehicle. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, he has had 1 million miles on his 2014 Model S, which is pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. However, uh, reading reading the actual story and getting into the details of it, you know, I've, I've seen you know other vehicles where drivers have put a million miles. I know... Yeah, a couple of few years ago, Toyota um, was doing an event at their tech center here, and uh, they had a um, a Tundra uh, that yep. they had bought back from a customer. That the customer had gone a million miles with it. Uh, Nissan had a a Frontier with a million miles on it, and those were, you know, 
they they ha still had the original engine, the original transmission, and so on. This one is more like a Tesla Theseus, you know. Uh -huh. You know, you know the story of the ship of Theseus, right? Where, you know, if you if you if you take a ship and you know, over, over time you've replaced every plank multiple every times, you know, it is still the original ship. Well, this one, this this Model S, uh, let's see, the um, the drive the rear drive motor has been replaced thirteen times uh, for an average of eighty four thousand miles per motor. Uh, um, the battery pack. Has only been replaced three times, uh, so you got three hundred thousand miles per pack with the battery, which, which is actually that's, that's actually bad. very impressive. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, assorted other parts that have been replaced over the years. Um, you know, it, it's hard to say that you know there's, I mean, clearly you know the platform that the, the chassis you know has been pretty robust, um, but that's you know as long as you can avoid things like rust. Uh, which right. you know the Model S is made of aluminum, so rust isn't going to be so much of a problem. Uh, that's not that hard to do, uh, yeah. but uh, you know, three hundred thousand miles per battery is 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 pretty impressive. Decent, and yeah. I think you know that that part of the story at least should assuage a lot of fears that people have about having to replace batteries in EVs because uh, yeah. that you know that is clearly a concern. Batteries are not inexpensive, and if you have to replace them. That's you know that's going to be a problem, but if you got to replace your drive motor every eighty thousand miles, that's expensive. Yeah, <laughs> that's not great. You know, a few that's of them were replaced under warranty, but after that, you know, he did have to spend his own money. But to, and even under warranty, it's then you've got hassle and and it still doesn't seem right. You yeah, know? it's it's you don't change your transmission every eighty thousand miles. No, uh, hopefully not. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's true. Hopefully not. Um, in that without it. so it, 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 I agree that the three hundred thousand miles on the battery pack is strong. Um, and it's a bit of an Athesius product, but still, it's a it's it's an interesting proof point and interesting conversation. Um, I, I do the longevity of EVs is still a, a, a question compared to ice. I mean, yeah, but I think I we think were just talking about Crown Vicks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Been on the road for thirty years, and you know, whatever, and and, and you've got four hundred of them that are ten, thirteen years old, and still going into service. Um, yeah, I, it's still a little bit out. I think the electronics and, and and stuff are probably not going to see the same kind of longevity that an engine. That's probably the they bigger just... issue. Yeah, is going to be the electronics. Um, yeah. I know. You know, certainly some of the. You know, some of the early vehicles with electronic systems, you know, have have had some challenges being able to be kept on the road. Uh, you know, yeah, a more a more extreme case, you know, that the McLaren F1, you know, from the mid 1990s, you know, they only built 106 of those. But one of the things, you know, with the uh, the engine management system on that, um, what they they had special software that they developed to be able to check the engines and, and maintain them and everything. Uh, but it only runs on a particular model of compact laptop from the early 1990s. Right. And so technicians oh. that work on these, they they have to have a stockpile of these these old compact laptops in order to be able to talk to the engine management system in the McLaren F1. Now, like I said, there's only 106 of those cars. You know, and they're they they're right. a billion dollars when they were new, and they sell for upwards of 10 million dollars these days. But you know, there there have been previous stories about trying to keep even the Tesla Roadsters running and and 
you yeah. know, a lot of other vehicles. So as vehicles get more and more software defined, I think we're going to see more of that. I know. And the when we talk about software defined vehicles, the focus has been on over the air updates and how you can constantly update. And I'm like, yeah, no, you, you do hit a wall. Mm-hmm. There's there is always a wall where that processor can't do yeah. what the next generation software is. I mean, I, I, an iPad owner, and you know, eventually there's a point where you just can't you just can't update it. The, the, hardware, the power, the, the old the hardware, hardware just won't support the new software. Won't anymore. support the new software, and it's not a decade. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. So you know I, that while that 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 when I look at vehicles, I I, I think about that. You know, and and Ford and GM and all of the others saying, but we're just going to have over the updates. Your car's always going to be fresher. It's always going to be better. I'm like, always is a long time. Up up to a point. And up to a point, and that point is not a, a 15 year life cycle of a of a traditional vehicle that we have now. That point is probably seven or eight years. And but the interesting thing though about it too is is even if you can't update it and get another part of software in there, hopefully it doesn't. The performance doesn't degrade. When you look at an iPad. If you update or, or an iPhone or whatever, if you get too far in the system, um, you'll get a software operating system that won't work. Hopefully that's not necessarily the case. So if you've got a Blazor EV that's, you were talking about this in seven years, and, and you get to a point where that Blazor maybe can't take one of the new features, as long as the current set doesn't degrade. Yeah. It, it, you, you, know, don't it might, so okay. yeah. you don't want to lose features. You don't want to lose features, not on a vehicle. Yeah. I mean... You know, an, an iPad is something I can, it, it's replaceable. It's not running my life. It's something that I do stuff with. It's not something I'm going to you know, take my cats to the vet in. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to a vehicle, you, they've got a, a whole series of things that have to happen and, and safety and performance are, are there. So you can't lose features like that. Yep. Um, All right. Uh, one last story uh, for this week, and then we've got one listener question um, from Auto car uh, in the UK. Um, the um, VW has just shown a concept of the new ID2, which is their smaller, sort of polo sized um, EV that's coming out. Um, and uh, one of the big complaints about the ID3 and the ID4 and GM, or VW's other EVs has been the touch sensitive controls along the bottom of the screen, the center screen, uh, for things like volume and climate control yeah. and everything. And yeah, that's been a control. That's been a, a complaint with a for a lot of vehicles. I know, like yeah. on some of the recent Hyundai's, the the two the current generation Tucson and Santa Cruz, and that they also have touch sensitive controls. And VW is bringing back physical buttons. So on this ID two, it's got a row of physical controls, and that's one of the things that uh, the Blazer Blazer talked about is yep. you know keeping physical mix. controls for volume and climate control and, and thing, things like that that you use all the time, keeping yeah. those physical and that shift back towards a more balanced mix of physical and touch controls. I, I'm all for it. Definitely. I'm all for it too. And, and we keep doing it. Yeah. We keep taking the buttons away and then you're like, oh wait, no, we'll put them back. I know with their button and their yeah. control that drove everyone crazy. We, we've like, got okay, that on our Civic. Yeah. We'll put that back. You know, I mean, it, so it, 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 you know, hey, vehicle designers, stop, just stop yeah. taking buttons away. Let it go. <laughs> uh, give us buttons because there's still physical controls for certain things that just are easier and faster and better. Um, and I think that's important. I, one of the, the controls on the Blazer, did you, did you, um, 
end up with a conversation. So Blazer is one of those vehicles, EV, of course, that you you get in and you know you put your foot on the brake and it starts, and you get out and its sensors turn off when you exit the vehicle. Um, that always freaks me out. I have a yeah. There's, there's no there's no stop start button. No off. There is with a, with there's no off, and I don't mind it when you get in and it just starts and goes. Um, it it I'm never con- I'm never convinced it's turned off when I get out. But Blazer has on the screen, and it is a layer in, so you do have to push something to get it. But you can turn it off. So for those people who like me, kind of freak out, freaking go, no, there's a, there's an off button for the car. But there's but, also an ex- the extend mode, which they also have yeah. on the Silverado. They're going to put it on all their EVs, which allows you to keep the power on for 60 minutes. Yes, um, which so, is good too. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you you know if you need if you've got your dog in the car and you need to run into the store, you can put that on, keep the air conditioning on, you know, and, yeah. and Tesla's had their dog mode for years and um, Rivian's got a similar mode in their vehicles. Yeah. That's... Well, you just, when I, I forgot something in the house and yeah. I get out and I don't really want to turn everything back on, you know, just yeah. keep going for a couple minutes. So yeah, that's, that's neat too, but digress from the, from the physical buttons. Uh, yes. Let's, let's, let's just have an agreement that yeah. <laughs> all screen control vehicle is a bad idea. And and you can't and and the the subset of I'm going to take away all the controls, but I'll, I'll enable voice control is also not a great solution. Yeah, doesn't, um, doesn't work for everything. It's not as reliable it as it needs to be. No, and 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 I think there's enough people that don't use voice. There's a lot of people that do. Um, there's a lot of people that don't. That that's not uh, a ubiquitous enough behavior um, to say nope. All my owners are just going to change the radio station by voice, so they don't need a button. Um, I don't think that's a. I don't think that enough people are, are consistent enough. And I say that because I've seen my friends use voice, and I never do. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, okay. Case of one. Some people I see do it, and I really, I don't like talking to my car or yeah. my house. I, I'm back and forth, and some things, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm using navigation, you know, with, with uh, Google Maps, you know, I'll say, hey, Google, you know. Sorry about that for anybody that's listening in their car or whatever. I just triggered their devices. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I'll call up the assistant and, you know, say, hey, you know, navigate to wherever. To, and, yeah. uh, you know, so, you know, especially if I'm already on my way somewhere um, and I just need the details for the last part of the trip, um, you know, so you don't have to stop and tap it on the screen or anything like that. Yeah, so yeah. Use that. But for most other stuff, I use physical controls where I can. Yeah. And I, um, I, so I don't text when I'm driving because I don't like using voice to text. Mm-hmm. And it's always, it's been one of those things where it's designed so you don't have to look and you can't see and all that. But, you know, I work with words for a living. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so when I speak it and it reads it back, like, I first of all, it doesn't understand me half the time, but when it does... I, I can't see it. It drives me crazy that I can't see if there's a period where I said there's a period or that I can't see what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And so just hearing it repeat it back to me and, and saying send, like, just is not comfortable for me. So I don't text when I drive because I can't use it because I don't like to use the voice. Yeah. The, the, only, <laughs> the only time I do that is, like, just for, yeah, if I need to, um, you know, like send my wife, you know, a quick update. Yeah. You know, On my way. Late or, you know, just, yeah. uh, you know, acknowledge yeah, you know, she, she sent me a text. You know, to stop and pick something up. You know, just a quick acknowledgement. But that's yeah. it. Um, I don't. Yeah. I don't send long. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, my my writing can be fairly verbose, and I don't send those kind of text messages with voice. 
No, you can't. No, no, I find that. But you know, have you met me? Have I said anything that that goes short? Um, All right. Uh, we got one listener question, um, and uh, it's from Stephen in Illinois, uh, and uh, says, I have a dilemma. Uh, we would very much like to purchase a plug-in hybrid in the near future, as our two cars are both nearly 10 years old. I'm sure our use case is very common, and we don't know quite what to do. We have a 2014 Prius with 70,000 miles on it, and a 2015 uh, Subaru Outback with 85,000 miles. We do mostly local driving now with a manual with an annual drive to Florida and or the East Coast and occasional trips to Wisconsin. I need a bigger vehicle to haul a recumbent trike places once in a while. We'd like to replace the Prius with some type of EV or plug-in hybrid and keep the Outback mainly for trike hauling duty. Unfortunately, we cannot get access to charging at our designated parking spot in our underground garage. We live in a retirement community in the Chicago area composed of 90 independent living units and a four-story building. Um, there are two... Uh, new two level two chargers uh, above ground outside our building, somewhat problematic in the winter. My question is, uh, are, are RAV4 Prime or Prius Prime, is there one single battery handling both hybrid and EV driving duty such that eventually the single battery will be recharged fully by the hybrid battery through regeneration? Or are there separate hybrid and EV batteries and the only way to recharge the EV is plugging in? How long will it take to recharge either Prime model at a juice box? Uh, do any plug-in hybrid models support DC fast charging? So first off, a uh, lot of questions. Only only one Good battery. Questions. Yeah, yes. they they just use one battery for EV and hybrid functionality, and and that's this is true for all plug-in hybrids. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they they do still have a separate twelve volt battery for starting the the engine and for for other things for low voltage stuff, but for the drive unit, just one battery. Um, see, uh, let's see. So no separate batteries. Uh, how long would it take to recharge either Prime model at a juice box? Um, I'm not sure what the power output of the juice box is. We assume it's like either six or seven kilowatts, maybe nine kilowatts, probably about two to two and a half hours. Two, two to, let's say two to three hours. Um, if it's a, a low power uh, charger, a three kilowatt charger, take more like about four or five hours but it's probably a little bit faster than that so let's say two to three hours typically um and then uh do and do any plug-in hybrids support dc fast charging the only one that i know of is the um the mitsubishi outlander yeah it's a chatamo connector on it um and that's it actually only charges at 22 kilowatts even on chatamo and i'm not sure why they bothered putting putting yeah. that on there, um, but that's that is the only plug-in hybrid I know of that supports DC fast charging. All the rest are AC only. And um, you can most of them do have remote, so you can you can charge the battery while yeah. you're driving. Yes. Um, Toyota's I feel like takes longer to charge the battery when you put it in that mode. I think Volvo's are pretty quick. Or something else I was in that was very quick when it did that, um, but you can do that. But then you're running ice. Yeah, yeah. Like the Jeeps, um, the, the Jeep Wrangler and Grand Cherokee four by E's, and they have the, um, the charge mode. You know that you can put it into where uh, you know if you if you want to have you know if you're going say like if I was going from here to Detroit and I wanted to have EV mode while I was in Detroit, um, you know I could have it charge up the battery while uh you know while i'm driving or you know if you're going 
an off-road trail and you want, you know, the EV mode while you're off-roading, you know, you can charge it while you're on your way. It's using more gas when it does that. It's not the most, most efficient way to do it, but you, you can do it. Um, yeah. So the question is, you know, what is the, what is the general target? Is the general target for the, the use case to, to be in EV mode or is it, is the general target to be in plug-in hybrid mode? Because plug-in hybrids still have a bigger battery than a regular hybrid. And so you do get a little bit more efficiency. You do get a little bit more performance out of them. Um, you typically have more electric power with the plug-in yeah, versus a yeah. hybrid version. So it's more support all the way through. Yeah. So you do get better efficiency out of them. So I can see from a hybrid perspective, even if you don't ever drive it as an EV, I think it's a stronger hybrid. Yeah. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one part. Uh, one part of this was you know uh, if it's a single battery, will it be recharged fully by the hybrid system through regeneration? Theoretically, it could be. Um, if you were driving down, you know, coasting down a long enough hill, um, but in reality, you're not going to get enough regen to fully, you know, fully recharge that battery just through regen. <clears throat> um, just because the, the battery is so large, you know, tip in any typical driving, you're going to be accelerating, you know, you're going to be using up that power and then replenishing it, using it, replenishing it. So you're, you're never going to fully recharge the battery just through regen. Um, unless like, you know, you drove it up to the top of Pike's peak and then just coasted down the <laughs> hill. Uh, that's, that's about, you know, one of the only use cases, uh, any other time, once you deplete the, the plug-in part of the battery, then it's just going to be running just as a normal hybrid. Given this, uh, Steven's use case, you know, of only having access to two chargers outdoors, um, you know, and not really you know, no guarantee that they're going to be able to use them. Um, I would suggest that they might, they might actually be better off just replacing the Prius with another hybrid, just get a RAV4, regular RAV4 hybrid or, you know, some other, some other hybrid, uh, because you're, you're going to get, um, you're going to get enough, um, a boost in efficiency from that. Yeah, and the cost premium of going to the plug-in hybrid, if you can't plug, you can't guarantee that you're going to be plugged in all the time and using the electricity. Yeah, you know, if you if you're if you're only you know being being able to charge it for you know a third or half of your miles that you drive, it's not really worth it. It it it's makes really sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you, it makes sense if you can plug it in all the time and you're always using the electricity. Great, absolutely go for a plug-in hybrid. Mm -hmm. In this case, I would suggest just going for a regular hybrid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes more sense in this area. You're, you're, again, that's it's the cost differential, right? It's, yeah. You're not going to get that cost back yeah. um, in, in terms of what you're spending in terms of fuel, right? Yeah, like, you know, like a RAV4 hybrid, you know, or, you know, a Tucson or an Escape or, you know, something in that class, you know, you can get those, you know, for under $30,000. You're going to be looking at much closer to forty thousand dollars or more for a plug-in hybrid version, and that that ten grand you're never going to get that back unless you unless you are always using it with electricity. Right, um, and and it doesn't sound like the the use case that he presented um, really needs a pure EV mode. Often, yeah. Well, I mean, it I mean, says you know they're mostly driving right. around local around town, so you can use um, it then. Yeah, you know, a ten year old car with seventy thousand miles, you know, they're they're not accumulating a lot of miles so if you could plug it in all the time if you can guarantee you plug it in all the time then you actually probably would 
it would make sense because you you could do pretty much all your driving except for those occasional trips to Florida, right? Um, you know, um, with just electricity. But it's that it be being able to plug there's in. There's also Chicago. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's cold. Yeah. So in the winter time, maybe not. Yeah, but again, maybe. you know, a Prius Prime, you know, you got forty miles of electric range. Even in wintertime, you're still going to have... Even if it yeah, dropped to 20 years. 30, you know, 25, even 20. Yeah. Uh, so it's that still going to be. meet most... It should be close. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, take that for, for what it's worth, uh, Steve. Uh, thanks for calling or for uh, writing in. And you can send in your questions to feedback at wheelbearings.media. Um, and, or, you know, if you want to record your questions, do that. You know, send us a voice recording. We're happy to use that uh, in the show here. Um, and don't forget, you can get your wheel bearings, uh, t-shirts and phone cases and stuff, uh, at shop.wheelbearings.media. Uh, we got lots of interesting stuff there. So thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.